You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Again, it's great to see everybody here this morning, and today, uh, as we get into the Christmas message, we want to just remind you we have a Christmas card for everyone here. Some, many of you got that last week, but it's our way of uh, saying Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. It has all the staff, all the spouses, the people who work here, and uh, you can pick those up at the door from an usher as you're leaving today. We're going to uh, get a little more into the Christmas story. The last two Sundays I've talked about the prophecies of Isaiah. And today we're going to be going to the gospel account of Luke. However, I want to just let you know that I'm going to be doing a little bit different approach as it, as it is related to that story. And I'll unpack that in just a little bit. But I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word today. And we're going to read the account of where the angel appeared to Mary. So it's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So let's everybody read together. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The Holy Spirit, as we study the word today, we again ask that it not fill our mind with information but it fill our hearts with hope, with faith, with character, with the, the desires, Lord, that you want us to have. I pray that you help us wherever we're at in our spiritual journey. I pray that all will receive something. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So I want to set up the story a little bit. Obviously, the Christmas story is way bigger than just the segment that we read today. But I selected this for a particular reason. Sometimes when we look at the birth of Christ, which is what we call the Christmas story, it's easy to isolate the story from the other stories recorded in those same books, meaning Matthew and Luke. You realize 
that those stories belong to a greater uh, overarching theme that those writers are giving us in their gospel account. We come to Christmas, we just kind of take that story and we emphasize it, and that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a, another story that comes when it's connected, what I call to the rest of the momentum of the book that those stories are recorded in. So yes, Jesus' birth represents the promise that he would come to save us from our sins. Yes, that's, that's the birth of Christ. And let me just say this. Don't anybody walk out of here at the end of the day and say, I don't think pastor believes that anymore. Don't you dare say that. I firmly affirm that. But we have to understand that there's a, another overarching influence in telling the story. You notice the Gospels don't stop after the birth of Jesus, right? So they start with the birth of Jesus, and then it moves on from there. Those stories are connected to the other stories. And so the accounts of Matthew and Luke, however, introduce a broader activity of God that most people realize. In other words, we see the activity of God in the birth of Jesus and everything that's surrounding it. But because we isolate the story, we often isolate some of the events and some of the activity that we see God do. We isolate it to the story. And we don't realize it continues. And so subsequently, there's these debates about what God's activity might look like among us. God was not just bringing his son. His son was also bringing a whole dimension of new manifestations that were rare if ever seen. God was opening the, the resources of heaven to us. And so what we're looking at today was we want to look at God introducing a greater dimension of his transformational power. And specifically, we're going to look at two things that we see in the story of Mary. I'm not expecting you to pull it up, you know, like off the top of your head. But look at the story we read today. There are two supernatural things that occurred in that story that we just read this morning. Most of us, it didn't, make, it didn't resonate because you don't see what you're not looking for. In that story, you saw, number one, the manifestation of an angel. And you're going, what? You're preaching on angels today. Yep. So, oh, this is going to be interesting. You betcha. And the other one, it says the, the power of the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. I'm going to talk on angels, and I'm going to talk on the Holy Spirit. In and of itself, just one of those is controversial. Put them together, and you've got a huge controversy. You're probably thinking, well, what does that have to do with us today? I mean, I know that that happened in the story. That's great, you know, but what, is, what does that have to do with us today? And that's why I'm speaking on it, because most people have confined that activity to the birth of Jesus, and they don't realize it was to continue on. Whether I believe in it or not, whether I recognize it or not, or whether I'm looking for it or not, doesn't stop God from doing his activity. I want to show you, and what we're going to do is this. Usually I go into... Uh, a verse-by-verse verse context, and we're studying the Word. Now, we do that because that's what we need here in America. We're distant from the culture. We don't understand the Greek language, and so we have to do the research of the words and all those phrases. I get that. You do know that the people who that was written to, they didn't have to do a word study? You know, you're never in conversation when somebody says, that was awesome, and you go, awesome. What do you mean by Awesome. Let me get my thesaurus. Let me see what you mean by, you know, we, we, we know by our language what that means, okay? 
So when people talk, we're able to pay more attention to the overarching story. That's the same way in the Bible. Sometimes we forget that they weren't doing the word studies the way you and I do. They were paying more attention to the overarching themes and what was the momentum of the story and where was it going. And they just saw that because that's how their brains were wired. But you and I, we go to the Bible, we see it in a different lens because we're like, I need to slow it down, I need to study the Word, I need to know a little more about the history, and that's great. What I'm doing today is I'm backing off and I'm going to say, why don't we look at the overarching themes and where all this was leading to? specifically angels and the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of people today, good Christian people, have isolated those manifestations of, well, those just don't happen for us today anymore. And I go, really? So if you didn't know, I believe in angels. I mean, come on, I married one. Hey. I'm not dumb. See, I just won a bunch of you over. Maybe your wife just went. You need to listen to pastor today. (laughs) I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I want to just show you, in Mary's story, you had two things happen to her that were an absolute no-no in her day. She is a young, single woman, and an angel shows up and converses with her. Yeah, that didn't happen in Israel. Angels show up to the priest. Angels show up to the prophets. Angels show up in the... But angels don't talk to young, single females. And then it says the Holy Spirit came on her and overshadowed her. Again, no, that's reserved for the priest, the prophets. We go to the temple to find out what the Holy Spirit is saying. But the Holy Spirit does not interact with a young, single female. Now see, you and I, we don't give that much thought, but in that day, that's a huge controversy. That a woman would be saying, I had a conversation with an angel and the Holy Spirit came on. That was a doctrinal crisis, just her saying that. Now it helps when what you say the angel said is backed up, but it doesn't necessarily change minds because some people are so stuck on what they think God ought to be doing, sometimes they're trying to lead God rather than letting God lead them. So, I only have two points today. But man, will they last a long time. (laughs) So number one, we're going to look at angels. Number one, let's read this out loud. A greater dimension of God's transformational power was revealed in the form of angelic beings. Most of us are familiar with a few of the angelic manifestations inside the Christmas story. But what I want you to see is the vast scope of that activity and how that activity even went beyond the birth of Jesus and what did the New Testament church teach its followers about angels. Now, I'm going to stick with the Scripture because I'm smart enough to know. Stick with the Scripture and you're safe. You can say, well, I don't agree with you. You can take it up with the New Testament writers. Okay, because I'm just going to stick with the Scripture. So I'm going to go rather quickly because, again, I'm not doing verse by verse. I'm doing this overarching picture because that's what the people who received this would have saw. So first of all, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph had a dream. Then 
In Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, it says the Magi also had a dream as well. Now, it doesn't say it was an angel, but it says they were warned, and so a lot of people just are under the presumption it must have been an angel that was warning the Magi. And then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, Joseph has another angelic visit in a dream, saying somebody, or people are going to kill the child, you need to flee and go to Egypt. Then in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, Joseph gets another angelic, visit in a dream and says, now it's safe to return. Those who have been trying to kill Jesus are now dead. You can return back, and he does. Then in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, we're going outside immediately, that story, and going into some of the other things that surround Jesus' birth. Zechariah, he was the father of John the Baptist. He's in, he's in the temple, and an angel appears and tells him that Elizabeth is going to have a child and he's going to be called John the Baptist. Then in chapter 1, verse 26, Mary has an angel shows up and tells her, we read that today, that she's going to conceive when the Holy Spirit comes upon her. Then in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the shepherds, an angel shows up in the middle of the field. And then while he's talking, more heavenly hosts show up. And now there's an angelic choir. It's not just an angel showed up with Mary. Do you all see that angelic activity? I mean, this is like major breakout. And look at the diversity. Joseph, Magi, who came from another part of the world. Joseph again, Zachariah, Mary, the shepherds. It was happening all over the place. Angelic beings were showing up, having conversations with people. How many know those are not necessarily testimonies you come to church and tell people? I mean, nothing will cause people to back up in a church lobby than for you to say, you know, I had, a, I had a conversation with an angel last night. Nothing will cause people to go, oh, really? <laughs> now, here's where people go, well, that's great. It was a Christmas story. You know, God, he's just really pouring it on there. And, uh, you know, afterwards, you know, we just kind of go back to whatever normal was. And I go, you know, there never was another normal. Because let's look at Jesus' life and let's look at Jesus' ministry. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says that when he went into the wilderness, the 40 days and 40 nights, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says the angels attended him. Then in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke records this. He says that an angel appeared and strengthened Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then when you come to Acts chapter 5, verse 19, it says the apostles were arrested. They were in jail, and an angel shows up, opens the door, and leads them out of jail. Try to explain to the authorities how you got out of jail. Technically, I didn't break the law. Technically, I didn't break out of jail. An angel actually showed up, unlocked the door, took my hand, and led me out. It's not my fault. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip is on the road and he's told about this government official who's a eunuch that is traveling and that he needs to be at a certain place at a certain time. And, and so he listens to the angel and follows that direction. Acts chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, has an angel show up and has a conversation with Cornelius. And, gives, and the angel gives him directions on where the apostle Peter is staying and how to find him and that he's to invite him to his house. 
Then in Acts chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Peter is back in prison. An angel shows up, opens the door, takes him by the hand, and leads him out of jail and gives him his freedom. Then in Acts chapter 12, verse 23, Herod has an angelic visit and he's struck down and it says he was eaten by maggots. If you don't think the condition of your heart is, a, is an influence when an angel shows up, it helps to have your heart right with God. That angelic visit didn't go good. Then in Acts chapter 27, 23, Paul's on a ship and an angel in a dream shows up and tells him that there is going to be a shipwreck, but all will be saved, all will be good. So, so much for confining this activity of angelic beings to Jesus' birth. It followed Jesus in his ministry. Jesus dies, is resurrected, ascends to the Father of heaven, and it is a normal occurrence among the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. But did you know they actually taught on angels in the, book of Acts, in the, in the New Testament? They actually taught on it? I'm glad you asked that question. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Everybody read this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They're ministering spirits. Wow. Angels have a job to serve people who will inherit salvation. Did you know that you have spirit beings who are working in a dimension that you can't see, but working in a dimension in and around your life. See, this is a real uncomfortable because you're like, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm whacked. I don't want anybody, you know, like I'm woo-woo, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I want people to know that I'm normal. And I'm like, hey, I understand that, but you do understand there's a world that we can't see with our eyes. There's a spiritual world. See, the struggle we have is we say things and we don't know what that means when I say it. So you've, you, you read in the Old Testament, he's the Lord of hosts, right? How many of you have heard that Lord of hosts? Did you know that that means that he's the commander of heaven's armies? And you know, you get all excited. Well, well who, are the, who are the armies made up of? Angels. So if he's the Lord of hosts, he has command of angels, which means he's telling them what to do. Well, what are they doing? Serving. See, you kind of got to keep following where this momentum is going. So they're designed to serve us. In fact, I didn't put it up here. There's a scripture that says that on the day of judgment, we will be judged, but it tells us that we will judge the angels on how well they served. Ooh. Well, then you go into Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Let's read this. Do not forget, come on, you're reading with me. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. They said there are interactions that happen in life, and you don't know them, but you might not be aware that some of those interactions with people that you don't know are actually angels. So what does the summary of this mean? It means this, that God has spiritual beings that work in and around our life. They are working in our, in our future. They are working in various aspects. It's not just what I can see with my eyes. God says, I have things to help you 
do the life and have the life that he intends for you to have. See, what happens is this. When darkness, when Jesus was born, a new dimension of darkness was released. Remember? Even Herod said, I want everybody to go to Bethlehem and any male child two years and older, two, two years and younger, kill them. A new dimension of darkness was released. That would mean that God has to release a new dimension of his saving and delivering power. And one of those was the release of more angelic activity. Now you say, boy, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Take it up with those who wrote the New Testament. Okay? Look how often it's mentioned. See, it's just easier to skip over that subject because we find it uncomfortable. And since you're so uncomfortable, why don't we start talking about the Holy Spirit? All right, number two. Everybody read it out loud. A greater dimension of God's transformational power was being revealed in the form of the Holy Spirit. So we see that Mary had an experience with an angel, but she's also told that it will be enhanced with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's both. It's not one or the other. They're complementary in fashion. So, let's look at what, in the Christmas story, where, what do we know about the Holy Spirit inside that Christmas story? Let's go to Luke. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, Zechariah is told that John the Baptist who his wife is going to conceive, is going to be a son, he says, will be filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. Now let me, how many know that'll mess with your theology? Then, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Mary is told that the Holy Spirit will come on her. Then, in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, Zechariah, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, his parents take him to the temple to be dedicated. They run into a man named Simeon. There's three verses, and I'm using, I, I'm using the exact verbiage. It says about Simeon that, one, the Holy Spirit was on him, it moved him, and it revealed to him. Does that sound like the Holy Spirit is winding things up? Sounds like the, it's, not just, it's not just wrapping up. It sounds like the Holy Spirit is ramping up. And get this. All this is in complimentary fashion to all the angelic visits going on. How many of you know that would have been a really easy day to believe? Angelic visits, power of the Holy Spirit coming on people. And again, look at the story. You, Zechariah is the only priest that's here. The rest, Simeon. He's a man of God, but Elizabeth, Mary. Then we start to look at the life of Jesus' ministry. So was this just to get Jesus into the world? Well, no. In, John, in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist prophesies that Jesus is going to be baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. The word baptize means immersion. So he's not coming on people. He says he's going to submerse them. He's going to immerse people in the Holy Spirit. It's not coming on them. It's like submersion. Then in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Then in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, he goes into the wilderness and it says that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. First time it says Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Never mentions it earlier. John the Baptist, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit coming out of the mother's womb. 
doesn't say that about Jesus. This is when it says he's finally full of the Spirit. And you go, well, boy, that messes with my theology. I'm just reading the Bible. Okay? Then in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says that he comes back out of the wilderness, and it says he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 4, verse 18, he's in the synagogue, and he reads the scripture where he says, the Spirit is on me for the ministry, for deliverance, for healing, to set the captive free. And how many know it would be nice to go, well, and then everything he lived happily ever after. How many know it was not happily ever after for Jesus there? So all this activity, what does that mean? Did you know that people had the same response back then to people being baptized in the Holy Spirit as some people have it today? Just because you are baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean it's going to be all roses. In fact, I will say this. It's like moving into boot from boot, it's like going from boot camp and going into the real thing. There's conflict. And that I'm going to stay in chapter 4. Jesus has come out of the wilderness full of the Spirit. Jesus has announced that the Spirit is upon me. And what happens? Look at this. Chapter 4. Still in chapter 4. In verse 28 through 30, people try to throw Jesus off a cliff. How's that for an anointed response? Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to do these things. And the first thing that happens is this. We need to throw this man off of a cliff. Did you know that Sometimes the people most resistant to the Holy Spirit are people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Oh, you said, did Pastor Greg just say that? Yeah. The people most resistant to the Holy Spirit are not people on Main Street who has never set foot in a church. It's followers of Jesus who say, I resist that, I am not open to that, and I rebuke that. In Jesus' day, they actually drug him out and tried to throw him off a cliff. And it says that Jesus walked through the crowd and walked away. Right on the heels of that, look at that, verse 31. He goes to the synagogue and now he encounters a man with an unclean spirit. Where's the guy at? Is he on Main Street? Where's he at? How does, an unclean, how does a guy with an unclean spirit sit in a synagogue? It just goes to show you that you have a little bit of everything anytime you gather together. There are always people who need Jesus. If you haven't recognized by now, when we come to church at the bridge, we're not all, uh, this is not a perfect church. After all, you're here and I'm here. <laughs> you know, people show up with junk. People show up with issues. This is not a place, well, if you get it all together, well, go to church. Listen, if you get it all together, you don't need church. So I'm so appreciative that all of you came this morning and confessed by being here that you need help. <laughs> so Jesus is attacked personally. Now an unclean spirit comes after him. In the next set of verses, Jesus goes to Simon's house, Simon Peter's house, who are close friends, and his mother-in-law is stricken with a high fever. So the enemy now attacks relationships that Jesus values. This is all in response to Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. The enemy's attacks are upped. They don't back down, they go up. 
Then in the next few verses, it says that he encounters the sick and the demon possessed. So hell just decides to bring all the problems of the community to the doorstep. Let's bring the demon possessed that nobody can help. Let's bring all the sickness and disease that nobody can cure. Let's overwhelm Jesus with the world's problems. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit, because God sent us here to solve community problems. Oh, come on, man. you got to do better than that. God put us here to solve community problems, not create them. And they say, we don't know what to do. God's people say, I, I'll take that challenge, and I'll figure that out. Jesus didn't tell those people, leave me alone and go away. He accepted the challenge. Nobody knows what to do with them? I do. But here's the thing. Then you read on that they tried to prevent Jesus from leaving. See, this is what happens when we get something that we've not had. We, we want to keep it. We don't want to share it. They want to keep Jesus there. They don't want Jesus to leave. They want him to stay. One of the challenges of Christianity is when God does something in your life and you have to come to the realization that he just didn't do it for you. Yes, he did it for you, but now he wants to do something through you. And so many followers of Christ stop there. They get what they want from Jesus and they stop. It's like, no, God did that in your life because now he wants you to become somebody else's testimony. You have a voice that you can tell somebody, been there, done that. See, I oftentimes get this feedback from people when they're in a crisis and I'm trying to share, you know, maybe, they, and they go, you don't understand, you've never been there. And I have to say, you're right, I've not. But it sure is wonderful when another follower of Christ who has been set free, delivered, healed, sits there and go, well, I have. And I'm telling you, you can trust God with this. Now there's no leverage to negotiate with God. These folks got what they wanted, but they didn't want Jesus to leave. They didn't want to share Jesus with the other communities. Didn't want to share, share Jesus with other people. And listen, that's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is understanding God wants to use me to reach other people. It's not all about me. And everybody said amen to that. It's not all about you. It's what he wants to do in and through you. So as we look at this, I'm going to wrap this up, which doesn't really mean much. <laughs> uh, math, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I've talked about the Holy Spirit. And so, obviously, we see in these stories, this would have been a conversation Jesus would have had about the Holy Spirit. Now you notice, like I said, we're talking about angels and the Holy Spirit and how those momentums, those things continued on after the birth of Jesus. They weren't just a few supernatural things that happened in the birth of Jesus. They were designed to continue and be a part of our lives. This Holy Spirit. So Matthew records this. Luke records it, and we often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew takes the Lord's Prayer and goes a different direction. He has a different emphasis, okay, because he's talking to Jewish people. Here in Luke, because of the frequency with which he mentions the Holy Spirit, he expands on the context 
of Jesus talking about prayer. And it's a lengthy passage, but notice, I just want you to look at the momentum. I want you to see the overall content. It's not just the Lord's Prayer. It's the commentary that Jesus gave about the Lord's Prayer. Look at this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. This is key. Verse 1 is now setting up the next 12 verses. And it's this. They have listened to how Jesus prayed. They listened. And when he was done, they said to him, teach us to pray like you just did. They heard something, they saw something, they sensed something, and they said, what we just saw you do is what we want to do. Teach us. So the next 12 verses are teaching them what they just saw Jesus do. Everybody got that? It's called context. Okay. He said to them, when you pray, so here he goes. He goes, let me show you. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. There's where almost everybody stops. There's more. Then Jesus said to them, how many know that means there's more to come? Jesus says, that's point number one. Now here's point number two. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Let me pause. It sounds like you're like, man, it sounds like Jesus is heading off on something else here. But see, that's because of our unfamiliarity of how he communicated. This is still answering, show us how to pray. He uses a story. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That sounds like people in Warrington. <laughs> you know, I mean, here's like, you know, what are you doing at my door in the middle of the night? I mean, come on, man. All right. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, how many times have you gotten up in the middle of the night and it wasn't friendship? Yet because of your shameless audacity, how's that for a holy phrase? He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now, right there is where we all want to superimpose what that provokes in our mind. But here's the question you have to ask about the context. What is Jesus talking about when he says ask, seek, knock? They'll receive. They'll find. The door will be open. What, what is he? Okay, he's teaching us how to pray, right? You all with me? What is he talking about? Because there's been no mention of healing, sickness, disease. I mean, we can't add in something that we think it means when Jesus hasn't mentioned that yet. Everybody with me? Okay. 
So what is Jesus referring? He's saying, let me show you how to pray. What What is he talking about? What are we to receive? What are we to seek? And what are we knocking for? He answers that. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So he's saying, you don't have to be worried about asking for something and getting a counterfeit in return. You know a legitimate request and you give a legitimate answer. You don't, you don't do any swapping there. Everybody got me? But he still hasn't said, what are we asking for, right? What are we seeking? What is that? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, everybody finish reading, give, those who seek the Holy Spirit will receive, those who knock for the Holy Spirit, the door to the Holy Spirit will be open. Wow. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray like me? Ask for the Holy Spirit. That's the context. The Lord's Prayer is a setup to get people to move towards the Holy Spirit. He says, if you seek, I'll give it to you. If you knock, I'll open the door to the Holy Spirit. If you want it, I'll give it. And notice he says, and if you don't receive, keep on knocking, keep on asking. It's like the guy who comes in the middle of the night and says, I got a guest I didn't expect, and I got to feed him, and I know you got bread. And I'm going to keep knocking on your door until you get out of bed and you give me the bread. And Jesus said, if you don't receive it, just keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. These are fellows who are already saving people. They're already praying and there's healings. They're already leading people to Jesus and he is telling them there is another dimension in your prayer life of the Holy Spirit. The things, they were already doing the stuff. And Jesus said there's another dimension of prayer that comes with the Holy Spirit. So ask me for it and I'll give it to you. And he says, and I will make sure you don't get a counterfeit. If you ask for an egg, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. If you ask for a fish, I'm not going to give you a snake. You ask for the Holy Spirit, I'll give. So we have to understand the Christmas story was God saying, I am about to resource you in ways that you never dreamed of. I'm going to put the heavenly host at your disposal. They will go before you, behind you, and with you. You have angelic beings that are doing battle in the heavenlies that you cannot see, but they are fighting for you. And he says, the second thing is I have for you is a thing called the power of the Holy Spirit. It will enable you to pray things and pray for things and pray in ways that you would never otherwise pray. But the Holy Spirit is going to help you to do that. The Christmas story is God's announcement that he was going to resource mankind. Totally different. You got my son, you got the angels, and you got the Holy Spirit. Go get them. You're not hopeless. It's not over. You got a lot of things that God has invested in you. 
And if you'll lean into those things, you might be amazed at what God will do in and through your life. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand as we wrap up the service. Come on, can you do that? Would you just lift your hands this morning and praise him? For giving you a son, Jesus. For giving you the angelic host. For giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not either or. It's all the above. God has resourced you to live the life that he's called you to live. Come on, praise him for that this morning. With heads bowed this morning, there might be those who recognize that today is a day when you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not my intent to do this in a way that embarrasses you or puts you on the spot, but you say, Pastor, today I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a second. When I see that, that's telling me, lead us in prayer, because when you lead us in prayer, I'm going to be inviting Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior. So if that's you today, let me see your hand right now. Lift it up. Let me see it. You can put it right up. Yes, sir, I see that. You say, today I'm going to be asking Christ in my life. Yes, sir, I see yours. Others, you say, I'm going to do that today. Today is my day. Anybody else? Whether I saw your hand, yes, ma'am. Whether I saw your hand or not, Come on, everybody, say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, today is the day when I bend my knee to you. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. I ask for your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Can you do that? Come on. For those of you who accepted Christ, I'm going to ask you to do two things today. Number one, it is probably the most important thing you can do. You need to tell somebody what you did. You go, oh man, don't, don't. No, listen to me. The people who are with you, this is as big a deal to them as it is to you. So when we dismiss in just a few minutes, everybody's going to be turning to people that they know, and you know, hey, you ready to go? Let's get our stuff. And you know, hey, are you ready? And you have permission to hijack the conversation. When they say, hey, you ready to go? You go, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to tell you something. And they'll say, well, what's that? You need to say, I accepted Jesus today. Be prepared to get hugged. That's what we do. But I'm telling you, it's as big a deal to the person that's standing next to you as it is what you think it is. And even if that's not a friend or relative, you met them in the middle of church, how many would love to have somebody standing next to you tell you they accepted Jesus today? Let me see your hand. Okay, it is a big deal to the person standing with you today. The second thing is, as you leave, there's by the doors bags that say, follow Jesus. Take one of those with you. We put it together to help you in this journey. As we prepare to wrap up a song and sing, I'm going to ask some of our connection group leaders, some of our church leadership team, would you make your way forward? I hope you heard this morning, God's ready to meet the challenges and needs that you have in your life. Whether I preached on it or not, you have a need 
that you would like prayer for as we sing, step in the aisle, come and ask one of these folks to pray and then I'm going to dismiss everybody else. But come on, let's sing it as people make their way. everybody lift your hands I'll say the blessing and we'll go I bless you in the name of the Lord may he bless you in this city and in this county may the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed may he bless the work of your hands at home at work at church in this community may he bless your coming and your going may the Lord grant the enemies that are rising up against you be defeated when they come at you in one direction let him flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.